right. We are going to go to the book of Philippians, of course. And uh, last week, I started a message, What Counts as Christ. Uh, and that's basically because there's a verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 7. It says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And so really, what counts is Christ. That's what counts. And uh, last week, I talked about three warnings. Three warnings. And so we talked about dogs last week. We talked about cuddles last week. Amen. Always a good subject. Uh, Pippi, our dog. Amen. Uh, no, I was trying to comfort the uh, folks. I'm not saying the dogs are bad. But in the scripture, uh, the dogs definitely had a negative connotation in the scripture. Uh, so we talked about three warnings. And those warnings were basically just based upon the fact of those that were infiltrating churches in the early church and today in different forms where what they try to do is add things to the gospel. Now we know that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us what the gospel is. It tells us it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The apostle Paul made it very clear when he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is, what is it? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what is the power of God to salvation? The gospel. What is the gospel? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when someone comes along and they try to tell you you need to be baptized in water, that is not the death, the burial, nor the resurrection. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was defending uh, his position there with the church at Corinth, he was saying, I'm glad I baptized none of you. Because he said, if I would have, you would have probably been following, you know, it would have probably been me that you, you think is going to save you here, you know. Uh, I had nothing to do with your baptism. So he went on to say, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What's the gospel? The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Christ sent me not to put you underneath water, but he sent me to preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Amen? So in that verse, what you see is a separation between the gospel and water baptism. So we know the water baptism has nothing to do with your salvation. Water baptism has a lot to do with this church right here. Your baptism is a testimony to these people that you have trusted the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Amen? And that's why when we baptize you, we put you under the water. We say, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Amen? So it's a picture or a testimony to the people that you yourself have trusted what Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he died, he was buried, and he rose again for your sins. Amen? So that's what salvation consists of. Now these dogs, these evil workers, 
the concision is what Paul called them here in Philippians chapter 3. Concision means the mutilators. They were actually called the circumcision throughout the scripture. These are the circumcision came and they did this and they did that. And they called them the circumcision because that was a sign that God gave the, the Jewish people to differentiate them between God's people and the heathen people. But it was also a picture of how the Lord wanted to remove the sins of our heart. And that's why throughout the scriptures, he also talked about being circumcised in your heart. And so here they came along and they made this physical ritual a part of the gospel. They said, unless you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they would tell people. And so they would add a law ritual to the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Amen. So when the Apostle Paul says, for the gospel is the power, that means that God cannot save you unless you trust the death, the burial, and the resurrection, because that is the power to save you. Amen. You take that out of there, there's no power to save you. You cannot be saved. Amen. Amen. But you can be saved if you trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You get I'm trying to use repetition to ingrain this in your mind, right? Because you're going to go home and say, hey, you know what the gospel is? The death, the burial, and the resurrection. And that's exactly what it needs to be. It's a three, it's a three chord uh, bound together. Amen. God works in threes, and that three makes it very strong that there was a death, a burial, not just a death and a burial, because Muhammad has been death, died and was buried. <laughs> Buddha died and was buried. Joseph Smith died and was buried. Uh, Charles Russell died and he was buried. Uh, many of these uh, cult leaders died and they were buried, but there's only one that rose again. Amen. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that defeated death. Because thou wilt not allow thy holy one to remain in hell, the Bible says in the Psalms and reiterate in the book of Acts. Why? Because he's God, the perfect God of heaven. <laughs> Amen. He didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve to be there. Death couldn't hold him because he was the perfect son of God. And so he rose and he paved a road for us out of death. <laughs> you get that, right? You realize until... Until Jesus Christ rose from the grave, everybody had to go to the place called Hades. It was paradise and the place called that people would call hell. Uh, paradise is where those that were saved would go in Abraham's bosom. And then those that were lost would go into this place of separation where they'd be in torment. And you read Luke chapter 17, the rich man, his eyes, rose, his eyes lifted up in, in torment. And he saw Abraham afar off in, in the bosom. But the Bible says that when Jesus Christ died, was buried, and then when he rose again, that he took cap he led captivity captive. Which means since now he has shed his blood for the sins of men, he paved the way for them to access heaven, he now led that bosom up into glory. So now paradise is no longer in the pit of the earth. Now paradise is now in heaven. Amen. And that it's proven later when the Apostle Paul, when he had that vision, remember how he said that I was, that I was caught up to what? Paradise. Up to paradise. So later on, when Paul was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ, he was caught up 
and taught in the place called paradise, but it was in heaven, not in the earth. And that's because Jesus brought it there. Amen. Because of what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Not because of baptism, not because of any of those things. Baptism was just simply the outward sign for Jesus that he was the Messiah. Amen. And so, interesting stuff. These evil workers, these concision, these mutilators would try to mutilate the gospel. And the Apostle Paul just said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. Oh, folks, we're not talking about tolerance there. We're talking about extreme intolerance. We do not tolerate false teachers. We do not tolerate people adding to that precious message of the gospel because that will send your children to hell. And I don't want your kids to go to hell. I want them to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what saves a soul. If you're here today, you say, I don't know how to be saved. Can I tell you? (laughs) Amen. Believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. The Bible tells us that. Hey, can I just go to a passage of scripture? I know I'm a little off mark again, which means I won't finish my message. But in Ephesians... (laughs) This is such a wonderful verse that ties in those gospel verses that I just shared with you. In fact, there was one fellow one time, I took him to the Smitty's restaurant, and all I did was explain to him exactly what I explained to you, what the gospel is, and I used all these verses. And by the end of that conversation, he says, I need to be saved and believe the gospel. Amen. I usually end up on this one here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13. It's talking, well, verse number 12, it says, it's talking to believers. It's saying that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So that statement there, trusted in Christ, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people to trust Christ. That, what, that's what it is to be saved, amen? Trusting, not just believing here, not just storing information, but having that information fall in their heart, the place of trust. Because if you believe in your heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's a trust issue, amen? So it goes on to say here, in verse number 13, in whom ye also trusted after, so you only trusted after some things happened. And now he's telling you what happened before you trusted. It says, after that ye heard the word of truth. That means before you can trust Christ, you need to hear the word of truth. Well, give me some more specifics, preacher. What are you talking about? Well, he says that right here. He says, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So when did I trust Christ? After I heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of my salvation, which is what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's when I trusted. When I heard about how Jesus died for me, when I heard about how he went to the grave, when I heard about how the grave could not hold him because he was the perfect son of God and he defeated death in victory, when I heard that, I trusted 
Amen? Then it goes on to say, verse number 12, in the gospel of your salvation, in whom, now we're talking about in whom, also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So you notice that, that sentence, a lot of colons, semicolons, no period in there. It's an ongoing thought. So what he's saying here, I'm not telling you something that happens over 20 days. I'm telling you something that happened within a moment of time. You heard it, and you believed it, and you were sealed. You weren't sealed the day after. The moment you believed in your heart, you were sealed. A lot of people say, well, how long am I sealed? Well, lucky he gives us that answer. Not luck, but, I mean, praise God. (laughs) Verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of whose glory? His glory. So how long am I going to be sealed here? He says, you're going to be sealed because what you just received of that Holy Spirit is called an earnest. The earnest is the down payment, just like when you buy a house. You go, you go to the lawyer or whatever, you say, I'm going to give you $1,000, hold the house, and I'll give you the rest of the inheritance or the rest of the payment on the day of redemption, the possession date. On the possession date, you go get that check to the person that owns the house, and you know what? You've just completed that payment and you have all the inheritance. That is called the day of redemption. Well, what day is that? That, my friend, is the day of the resurrection. That is the day of the rapture. See, the Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ comes again, we will see him as he is, and we will be like him. So the Lord is telling you this. If you will believe the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection... What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a down payment and it's going to seal you your whole life until Jesus comes again and the moment your eyes fix upon him, you're going to be transformed into his image. There's no room for losing salvation there. (laughs) Amen. In another passage, it tells us that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. We're sealed. That Holy Spirit of God is inside of you if you're born again, and He is never going to leave you. <laughs> Interesting thing if I buy a house, I give them a down payment, a week later I say, Oh, I don't know what I did there. I can't do this. I don't want that house. <laughs> They'll say, Well, you just lost your down payment. See, that's the whole aspect of what an earnest is. When I give an earnest, I'm saying I am earnest in my purchase of that house. Earnest enough to give you this chunk of money, which is of great value, until the day I can give you the rest. The same thing it is when you got saved. He says, I am so, I am, I love you so much that I'm going to give you an earnest to show you how earnest I am. And I'm going to deposit that in you and seal you until my son comes. And then he's going to bring you home. That's why you can know 
that you have eternal life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. You can know. I don't understand people coming to me and saying, well, you can't know. I'm saying, okay. Then you talk to God about that because he lied to me. Obviously, he did not seal me into the day of redemption. He's been lying to me all along. So I guess it doesn't really matter. The Bible isn't true. (laughs) But if the Bible be true, folks, can I tell you something? If you are saved here today, you will never lose that salvation. You've got a home in heaven. You are secure in his hands and no man shall pluck you out of my father's hands. You are safe and secure in him. Preserved in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Amen? So, I understand the reason why I say that is because many people, they grow up in religions and maybe you've been influenced by religions I was that could teach you could lose it or maybe you don't know or you never know where the line is. <laughs> you know, They don't tell you how you can lose it, but it's never what they do. <laughs> it's always what you might do. But I've never done that. Well, maybe you've lost it. Oh, no, not me. Well, then what do I have to do? Well, I don't know. Just make sure you do good. Good? There's none that do with good, no, not one. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This passage is telling us that we rejoice in Christ Jesus. We boast in Christ. We don't boast in ourselves. Amen? And so, if you're here today, you don't know Christ as Savior, what do you need to do? You need to believe and trust Christ by doing what? Believing the what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Not the death, burial, and resurrection of an angel. Not the death, burial, and resurrection of simply a man but the death, burial, and resurrection of the God that made you, that came down to earth and took upon him the nature of man without losing the nature of God so that he could die a man's death in your place. A substitutionary atonement. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For us in my place. Amen. That's what he did for me. I like those two words, but God. Oh my. If he wouldn't have put those, those two words there, then, it, then I would say, well, where's my hope? I'm lost. I'm on my way to hell. But then he says, but God commendeth his love toward you. And that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you, for you, in your place. Amen? Isn't, isn't the gospel simple? <laughs> A child can understand. Amen? And so the false teachers were coming in and they were perverting that message. They were trying to complicate it. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul began to tell the Corinthian church, he says, I just... I'm concerned here that you've been beguiled or you've been deceived from the simplicity that is in Christ. The word simplicity means of few parts. 
when something is simple, it's something easy to do. Amen. It's something easy to comprehend. It's something uh, that is, is made up of few parts. And the gospel is few parts. It's just the death, burial, and resurrection. But what they want to do is they want to confuse it because they want to add parts. They want to complicate the gospel. Amen. And that's a work of the devil. Amen. Don't listen to that. Folks, I'm not in the habit of just bashing religions and so forth, but you've got to understand the Roman Catholic religion requires you to be baptized as a baby. And they believe because of that, that your original sin nature has been wiped out. And now after your original sin nature is wiped out, now you have to deal with your practical sins. And that's why you have to confess your sins to a priest. That's why you need absolution. That's why you need all those things. You need to continue to do that throughout your whole life so you never know. And then when you die... You get the last rites. These are all sacraments that you have to do in order to seek to be saved. Then after that, they tell you, you've got to go to purgatory. And purgatory is where we're going to burn the last of that out of you. If the priest prays for you. And I don't know what, what they do today, but I know in times past, they would require the family to give them money to pray their family members out of purgatory. That's not few parts. <laughs> Amen. You know what few parts is? Death, burial, resurrection. The simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Folks, and I can tell you about that with every religion that's other. You've got to be careful. Don't, well, I just want to be nice. To you you want to be nice, but the Bible says that they preach any other gospel unto you than that we have preached unto you, let them be accursed. Strong language from God. Amen? Let's be careful. That's why he's calling them dogs. That's why he calls them evil workers. They don't care if your children go to hell. They're not concerned what the scriptures say. They're concerned about something else. Some desire they have. Something they want to fulfill. But it's not fulfilling the scriptures. It's not following the word of God. Amen? And I know that sounds mean, but that's just the way it is. And I'd rather sound mean and have your soul saved and than try to stroke you and see you go to hell. Amen. I want you to be saved today. And so trust Christ. Trust the gospel. And so the next three things, and I won't get through this. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to, oh, another three hours will be done. <laughs> but there are three points. I'm going to start the first one. How's that? So there's three traits of someone that worships God in the spirit. Three traits, or three traits of a true believer, a person that truly trusts in Christ. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to go back there again, i got to scroll. It says here, I'll read that last verse, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision, now notice the wording there, which worship God in the Spirit. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So there's three things there. Those that worship God in spirit, those that rejoice in Christ Jesus, and those that have no confidence in the flesh. Those are the three traits of a true believer. All right? And so we'll look at this first one just a little bit here in relationship to worshiping God in our spirit. Now the word worship, what does that word worship mean? 
It doesn't mean putting on a rock concert, <laughs> all right? It doesn't mean flashing lights or smoke machines. Uh, in fact, you don't need any of those things to worship God, Amen. all right? Now, music uh, definitely can be an outflow of worship to God, but not worldly music because God doesn't really want that, amen? He doesn't want stuff from this world. He wants sacred things. He wants holy things, all right? So, so the word worship really means one hired to serve. In a religious sense, it just means to worship God. So to worship God carries with it an aspect of serving God. That means if I'm not serving God, I'm really not worshiping God. Or it means that if someone is truly worshiping God, they're actually serving God. But all I know is if I'm not serving God, I'm not worshiping Him. Otherwise, I might just, just put on some lights and some rock music and we'll have a good old emotional time and we'll just call it worshiping God. No, no, no. Worshiping God has a lot to do with who you serve. You say, well, how do I know if I'm worshiping God? Well, you'll know by how you spend your time. You'll know by uh, what you give your energy towards in your life. The thing that you give your most energy to is the thing that you worship. The things that occupies your thinking the most, that's what you worship the most. Now, there's a lot of good things that we could actually uh, occupy our thinking with, you know. We can think about our families. We can think about what we want to do for the future. All kinds of things can occupy our minds. But can I tell you something? You can do that. But if that's in place of you serving God or thinking about God or meditating on his word, you're not worshiping God. You could be worshiping your family. I always was blown away by the statement in the end of 1 John chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul said, My little children, keep yourselves from idols. <laughs> New Testament believers, following Christ, going to church, and they're supposed to be careful of idols? <laughs> well, an idol is something that keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. Because that has become the object of your worship. There was a day that a cigarette was my idol. A cigarette kept me from going to church. It told me when I'd go to places, when I shouldn't go to places. It told me sometimes how long I would be at places. Because <laughs> there came a time, oh, I need a smoke, so I'm going to have to go and sneak out somehow. The cigarette controlled where I went, how long I went, when I went, or if I would go at all. A cigarette was my idol. Now, I never thought about it in my mind. This is my idol. I love you. I'm going to worship you. But what took my time, what, what took my service, that became my God. You've got to be very careful of that. My little children, keep yourselves from idols. The Apostle Paul knew that even believers in our fallen soul, in our mind, we can easily be distracted and have things keep us from doing what God wants us to do. And so you get asked yourself, what's keeping you? <laughs> That's your question to answer, amen? I got mine. I need to ask myself that question, but you need to ask yourself that question. What is keeping you from being faithful to God? What is keeping you from serving Him? <laughs> There's a lot of souls we can reach in this place. There's millions of people, or a million and some, anyways. 
We're trying to. There's some people that'll, that'll take time out of their week and sacrifice that time to go do things because they're thinking on that, the things of God. But there's, you know, we could very easily be distracted. Oh, well, you know, but I got to do this and I got to do... Folks, we've got to start, stop worshiping God and we worship Him from the inside. You see, it starts in here. And the reason why I'm not doing it <clears throat> is not because of what's going on out here. It's because of what's going on in here. You see. So a true believer is one that worships God in spirit. This is where it begins, in the spirit. Now, I think I have a, a graph there. Son, do you have that there? Yeah, there it is. So what we have here is that heart with the three circles. That's who you are. You are made up of three parts. You are a body, or the temple, your soul, and your spirit. Your spirit is a center part of you. That spirit is what was dead without Christ. The Bible says, you hath he quickened that were dead in your trespasses and sins. Spiritually, you were disconnected from God. But when you became regenerated, and the word regeneration, the verse that I'm going to read you there is, Titus 3.5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so how you got saved was, was by the process of regeneration. He had to regenerate you on the inside. That's what happened when you got saved. So it wasn't something you did on the outside. It's something that happened on the inside. When you got saved. Amen. And so that's why those that are true believers are those that worship God in your spirit. Because your spirit has been made alive. Life has now come into your spirit. And you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit in your spirit till the day of redemption. Amen. And so that place is hallowed ground, that little spirit there. You notice I have that heart. Your heart, we, we look at the scriptures, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Well, your heart has to do with your spirit, but your heart also has to do with your soul. Your soul is your thinking, your mind, and your will, and your emotions, the way you feel about things. And so when we say, you know, set your heart upon God, we're saying love God. Amen. That's where the heart comes from, right? That's where Valentine's Day got it from. And so the soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Now your spirit is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. Your soul is the place that God wants to work into and through. Inside out. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But he starts on the inside and he works out. Amen? Now, religion, religion, the, bio, the verse it says there in James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So religion is my relationship to people. That's how I take what I have from God and I flesh it out towards people. Now, you've got to remember, there are religions 
that don't have regeneration. If there's no regeneration in your religion, then the, the arrow coming down from God into your spirit, through your soul, out of your body, is not delivering to man what came from God. Because you're separated from him. Amen? So religion without regeneration is man trying to work their way back up to God instead of have God work down through man. We need to understand something. God doesn't need anything from you. All right? There's nothing that you can deliver to God where he's going to say, oh yeah, I'll let you come to heaven. There's nothing. We live in a cursed planet. Everything created in the first six days has a curse and that ultimately all of it will be completely destroyed. Every molecule of it will be completely destroyed. The planets, the grass, the earth, the dirt, the water, the oceans, the mountains, you name it. Every person that has come from Adam has to be destroyed because it is cursed. Unless we become a new creature in Christ. See, the new creature is the only creature that was created after the six days. And only those created after will escape the destruction of the six-day curse. You understand that? So your religion, as much as you're trying to impress people, as much as you're trying to say, look at how spiritual we are, without regeneration, all it is is a curse. There's nothing that you can offer God. There's nothing, that's what Cain tried to do. Cain tried to go to God, hey, look what I made, God. Good fruit. God says, I'm not taking that. What did he accept? He accepted the the picture of the shed blood of the lamb. Because God knew that the only way that I could be regenerated is if Jesus Christ came, shed his blood, death, burial, resurrection, the blood cleansed my spirit, just like they did the temple. They would go in, sprinkle the blood. After the sprinkling of the blood, what took place? The glory of God indwelt the temple. Amen? Amen. Now we are the temple. We are the temple. It's no longer, in fact, I'll read you a passage of scripture here. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? I like it when Jesus Christ was talking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He says this, you worship, well basically they had this conversation. Of course the Jews were not supposed to talk to the Samaritans because you are unclean. We're not like you. We're different than you. We are the perfect people. You're not. And the Samaritans were wrong in many, many ways. (laughs) Amen. And in fact, she started to argue with Jesus about, hey, you know, the Jews say you got to go to the temple in Jerusalem and worship God there. Now we believe 
We go up to Mount Gerasim over there, and we go into that temple, and we worship him over there. Who's right? Well, Jesus sets her straight. He says, well, salvation is of the Jews. So in other words, the Old Testament system and the temple worship required that worship be done in a very specific locality, and that was in Jerusalem, the city of peace, God's chosen city, God's chosen temple. But then he also adds some new revelation, and this is what he's going to say. He says, ye worship ye know not what. <laughs> in fact, he's, he's saying, you don't even know what you're worshiping here, lady. He says, but, or when the true worshiper, sorry, we know what we worship. That's what he was saying about the Jews. We know that. For salvation is of the Jews. But then he goes on to say, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. So basically... He's giving a transitional statement here. He's saying, yes, the Jews are always required <laughs> to go back to Jerusalem three times a year during those feast times, and they would worship in the temple. And in fact, there was a lot of problems that took place when anybody ever tried to do anything other than that. <laughs> Remember the, the Reubenites? They took the other side of the Jordan, and all of a sudden they were building an altar on that side, and all the tribes says, Hey, what's going on here, man? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so Joshua goes to them saying, Hey, we let you on this side of the Jordan, but now what, you're setting up your own worship system? They said, No, 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 no. <laughs> We're just putting up an altar to remind us that we need to cross the Jordan and go to Jerusalem, and that's where we're going to work. Okay, it's a memorial, but don't you be offering anything on that altar. They were very serious about that. <laughs> it had to happen in a very specific place. Now that was because the Lord was preparing us for the truth of what he was going to do. That he was going to work in a very specific way in a very specific place in our life as well. And he was going to come into our spirit. <laughs> and now our body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because the blood of Christ has purged us. It's cleansed our conscience from, from dead works to serve the living God. It's amazing how they use those words. It's all about worship. Worship always includes serving. Your religion is an outflow of your salvation. Your religion must always come from God down, never from man up. When you got man trying to offer God something like circumcision or anything else, God says, uh -uh, that ain't going to happen. God, every perfect gift, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In other words, he's saying, the only good thing you're ever going to get is going to come from me. So if you're looking down there, it ain't going to happen. So when you're getting regenerated, I have to deliver to you the truth. I have to give you the light. I have to send my son. 
I have to give you a sacrifice. I have to do it all for you. And then you can be saved. And when your spirit becomes alive, he says, now what I want to do is I want you, mind, will, and emotions, I want your mind to be renewed so you can choose the right things, so you can feel the right way. Peace, joy. Folks, I'm miserable. I'm not happy. I live a miserable life. I'll tell you why. You're allowing the world to dictate your happiness. See, the devil always works from the outside in. God always works from the inside out. The pressures of this world are designed by Satan because the world is his platform to put pressure on your outside so that your inside, your soul, will choose to give in to pressure. Now, when you do that, it happens through emotion. That means, I'm scared I can't pay my bills. I, gotta, I can't go to church anymore. I gotta go to work. My emotions are now leading my decision. Because the first point of contact after this world touches me is my emotions. That's why you got to be careful of the worldly music. Because worldly music, its first point of contact is your emotion. And your emotion can many times be like a counterfeit spirituality. Well, it made me feel this way. Your feelings must always follow your thinking. Your emotions don't lead your thinking. Well, I'm going to do this because I feel. <laughs> no, I'm going to do this because God told me to. And the whole time that God told me to do it, and I'm making my choice, you know what my emotions are doing? <laughs> because I'm thinking about the pressure. My emotions are saying, don't do it. I'm scared. God's called me to preach. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm scared. So if I let my emotions leave, I'm not going to go preach. But if I'll make a decision, say, you know what? I'm just going to do what God wants me to do. And live by principle, not by pressure. What's going to happen is, I'm going to make a decision even though my, my emotions are screaming against me. I'm making my decision. And after that, what happens is because I've allowed the Holy Spirit to change my mind and I've made my decision, the Holy Spirit comes into my emotion. And all of a sudden I have joy. I have peace. Because my emotions became a follower. The devil will always put pressure on you because he wants you to make decisions based upon circumstances. And that's how the devil is leading your life. So what he did to Eve in the garden. Oh, didn't he let you have every tree? Oh, when she saw the tree that it was good for food. I mean, just good for food. Saw it and it's good. And, oh, I'm wanting that. <laughs> That's why the Bible says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. He didn't say present your heart. 
He said, if you can present your body a living sacrifice, I'll have your heart and your soul. You got to give them your body. If God has your body, the pressures come. You say, I'm not giving in to that. I'm going to allow him to work through my spirit. Amen. So, religion. Folks, without regeneration, (laughs) religion is dead. And they'll come with all kinds of rituals, all kinds of ideas to make themselves look like they're with God. But the only way you're truly with God is if you're regenerated by God and his spirit's inside of you. It's a one flow thing. It comes from God down. (laughs) That's why Jesus, on the day of the feast, stood there and says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Flow out. Flow out, not flow in. (laughs) Amen. Where does it come from? Where are these rivers coming from? (laughs) You know, they come from God. He is the source of the fountain. He is the source of the fountain that flows his grace into your spirit and then through your spirit and through your flesh, through your belly. The Bible says, out of your belly shall flow. Your belly, what is that? Some of us, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) What is the belly? The belly, according to scripture, in regards to that, are your appetites, your desires. All of your appetites and desires will be flowing out of the Holy Spirit, will control those things. So you know (laughs) that when you're truly worshiping God in your spirit, that you are where God wants you to be. You're doing what God wants you to do. Because he's controlling your appetites. He's controlling your desires. The Spirit of God is controlling you. The Bible says, but be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He's giving you a contrast there. He's saying, you can either be drunk with wine wherein, within that drinking of wine, is excess. The word excess means uh, prolificacy or it means an unsaved life. The character of the drinking of wine is is the character of an unsaved person. So it says, be not drunk with wine, where in it is the character or the life of an unsaved person, but be filled with the Spirit. Filled means controlled. It doesn't mean slapped on the head in a church service. It means that you are surrendering to the guidance of principle in your life so that the spirit that's in you is flowing through you, through your mind, your will, your emotions, out of your body. Like a river of water. Amen. True worshipers worship God in spirit. You get what I'm saying there? I hope I didn't confuse you. Let's bow our heads. Folks, there's a lot that I've talked about today that we could make a decision about. All I know is every person in this room, no matter who you are, has an obligation to God today to make a choice.
It's not because I'm a Baptist or I'm a preacher or because I'm great. We've just opened up the Word of God. And the Word of God has just found its way into our ears, into our heart. And it prompts us to decide. There may be something the Lord is pointing out in your heart and mind. And I don't know those things. I can't give you all those specifics, but the Lord knows it. There's something that's stealing your worship. It may not be a bad thing. It may be a good thing. But it's still becoming a bad thing because it's stealing away your heart from the Lord. I want to encourage you to make a decision about that, Christian, because true believers, we are characterized by worshiping in spirit. And that means principle-based living. That means the Lord is leading me. It's entered into my mind this morning. Now I'm, it's touching my will. Now my will must make a choice. Well, the Bible says that he worketh in us both to will and to do. So if it's God in you, he's telling you to do something. He's telling you to make a choice. And that's his power doing that. That's no preacher. That's no church. That's God.